Let's start with a prayer. Go for it. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord, Lord is with, with thee. thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Most sacred heart of Jesus. Have mercy on us. Immaculate heart of Mary. Pray for us. Saint Joseph. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome everyone who is on uh, Facebook Live with us right now, and all those who will log into Facebook Live here in a moment. My name is Michael Becker. I'm the Director of Operations here at Sacred Heart Catholic Church in Salisbury, and I am joined today with three out of the four of our wonderful seminarians here from Sacred Heart, and then our wonderful pastor, uh, Father John Eckert. Why don't we start off by introducing yourselves. Uh, name, rank, and serial number would be great. <laughs> no. Uh, Name, uh, what seminary you're at, and what year of study you're at. And we'll explain the years of study here in a moment. That'll probably be our first question. So why don't we just uh, go down the line? Uh, the camera. <laughs> uh, yes, look at the camera. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Noe Cifuentes, um, and I'm in College 3. College 3, and what seminary do you go to? St. Joseph's College Seminary. Perfect, thank Charlotte. you. My name is Darren Balke. I am in Theology 2. And I study at Mount St. Mary's of the West, which is in Cincinnati, Ohio. My name is Matthew Harrison. I am currently in my fourth year of seminary. This is my senior year. And I'm at St. Joseph's College Seminary, Charlotte. And Father, you might as well introduce yourself as well yeah. since we weren't on the line. I'm still Father John Eckert. I'm pastor of Sacred Heart Catholic <laughs> here in beautiful Salisbury, North Carolina. And I went to the Josephinum in Columbus, Ohio, and I've been ordained for nearly 10 years. Cool. Wonderful. Thank you. So this is a Q&A. We're going to be going till about 6.30, maybe a little bit before, because there's a Las Posada tonight here at Sacred Heart. And if you don't have anything to do, 6.30, it's great. Be here. Um, and I will be using my phone to follow along with comments, if we have any, or any questions from you all that are viewing Facebook Live right now. So if you have anything... Send in a question, and I'll try to get to it if I can. But to start, uh, Noe, since you're the first one in line on the chopping block, why don't we start with you? Um, so obviously you're wearing something, you and Matt are wearing something different than what Darren is wearing right now. I know you're wearing your nice uh, cardigan or sweater. Um, so can you explain why you're wearing something different than Darren right now and what the symbolism is of your cassock? And Matthew, if you want to chime in some point in this, you're free to as well. I'm actually going to use Matthew as a prop here. Uh, Matthew as a prop, yeah. perfect. Because so, he doesn't have his cardigan on. Exactly. <laughs> um, so the reason we wear different cassocks is because Darren is farther along in his, in his formation in uh, seminary. So he's actually received candidacy. Actually, he received um, um, acolyte. He was uh, a a couple of uh, months ago. Uh, but back to the question. Uh, yeah, so we're in college <laughs> seminary. So uh, there was a uh, back in the older days, I guess, in the church. Every seminary had their own cassock, and even some seminaries still do. Like the uh, Josephine had their own on their own house cassock, they call them. So this is just our model for Saint George's College Seminary. And so, as you can tell, I don't know if you can tell, but Matt has these lines right here around his uh, collar, which represent the uh, the virtues, the three car the uh, three theological and the four cardinal virtues, and then charity goes down all the way down the whole cassock, uh, because without charity, you can't really have much. It doesn't stick together. All the virtues need charity for them to be together. Then we have a green kind of sash going around. It's called a fascia. 
And uh, the significance of the green is not only it represents the bishop's color, uh, but also it represents the field on uh, which our vocation has been planted. Mm. Wonderful, thank you. Yeah. Um, and so, Darren, do you guys have a house cassock? And what does yours look like? So at my current seminary in Cincinnati, we don't have a specific house cassock, so we just wear generally the traditional black Roman style, or as I'm attired right now, I'm just general clerical shirt and slacks. Wonderful. Well, thank hey, you. Hey, Darren, how many buttons does that cassock typically have on it? So the Roman cassock is often built with 33 buttons, um, and the symbolism is to match up with the 33 years of our Lord's earthly life. Nice. So now... Every time you put a cassock on, do you unbutton all 33 buttons? Because that would take quite a bit of time. If you're very new to the process, you might. <laughs> some, some people step in and then wiggle the shoulders up, and other people like to tunnel in all the way from the bottom. That's a matter of personal preference. Okay, so you do not spend a good two or three minutes of your day unbuttoning and rebuttoning Never. 33 buttons. Never. Okay, that is o good to know. Only post-dry cleaning. Post-dry cleaning. Post-dry cleaning. Yeah. cleaning. That's yes. when you got to do it. So. Got it. Perfect. I'm a, I'm a step in her, by the way. Just oh, good as now. I didn't know about the I didn't know about the burrowing. I never. It's really like yeah. a little shirt. I'm gonna have to give it a shot. I think it's yes. you kind of bunch it up and then you just like put the. I kind of like, I kind of like the, the surplus. Yeah. You guys do the same thing it's, with it's surplus. You kind of bunch yeah. it up and drop it down. Yeah. yeah. That's nice. So, Darren, can you go ahead and explain the years of formation? Can you explain to us? So you guys all mentioned different years. Um, can you kind of explain the process from? normal laity to ordination and the different values of the class sure. years you can go. Sure. So I like to think of a seminary formation, a way that works well for a lot of people is to imagine like becoming a physician, right, in a medical sort of way, because um, in addition to being a shepherd, right, the priest is a, is a doctor for souls. He cares for them. So every doctor has certain studies that are called pre-med. You know, you learn how cells and bodies and science and all that work. And then you apply that to actually treating um, and healing patients later on. And so seminary formation for the man who's preparing for priesthood sort of has those two halves. And so that first half we would refer to as philosophy. Um, and that's basically the foundation of how to think, gather ideas, and work through them. So there's emphasis on logic and sort of the history of ideas. Um, and we put that all together. So... Both Noe and Matthew are in their philosophy years right now. And because they started directly after high school, um, that's a four-year program. Just like if you went to do biology and pre-med at any college, preparing to be a doctor. And then once you have that base built, um, then you continue on to what's called your theology studies. Um, and that's more properly the craft of the priest. Um, so theology is the study of God and the things that pertain or, or deal with God that are related to him. So the church, um, Mary, the sacraments, history, scripture, all of those things that fit together. So you start with how to consider good ideas, and then you make those ideas specifically about the wisdom of the church, and, and that seems to, to put it together. So uh, that's generally the progression. So for the college guys, they start off with four years of philosophy and follow with four years of theology. In my case and Father Eckert's, we already had an undergraduate degree in another field, um, but we needed to get sort of that preparatory study. So we had a two-year program to sort of merge into that 
that strain of philosophy and get prepared. And then also the four years of theology after that. Cool. So you, that's what we'd call pre-theology. If yep. you were doing four years of college and then jumping into it kind of after the fact, you'd have your BA and whatever you studied. <laughs> Darren was criminal justice. Father, if I'm correct, you were a poli-sci. And communications. And communications. Um, so then you would finish two years of pre-theology and you would come out with a bachelor's in philosophy <laughs> after that time. So, Father, you are running on three, three bachelor's degrees at, at that point, essentially. Yeah. And then you would start your four <laughs> years to do a, a master's in theology. Yeah, and there's a few different tracks you can get. Well, I know at least at the Josephinum, we were offered, like, the standard degree, you need to get a master's in divinity. Uh, but then also, at least at the Josephinum in Columbus, we were offered either on the Roman system, a baccalaureate in sacred theology or an STB. Um, or a Master of Arts in Theology, which is more like the American system. Um, I went the Roman system, and I have an STB in Sacred Theology. Uh, and then I know like a lot of our guys who go to Rome, they're offered instead of four years of theology, it's like a three-year theology track within an additional two years to get what's called a licentiate in Sacred Theology, or an STL, um, which I don't have an STL, but the way I understand it is it's essentially everything for the doctorate except for the dissertation. Um, and then you could go on eventually for the full list of the Roman degree with the doctorate in sacred theology. Cool. So, awesome. Yeah. So a lot of studying. It's great. Yes, a lot of studying. Darren, what do you like to say? What, what uh, grade are you in right now? Oh, I'm currently in 20th grade. Nice. Uh, so <laughs> by priestly ordination, hopefully I will have completed everything involved in 22nd grade. 20, 22nd grade for yeah. Darren. Kids in the schools love that. Oh, it's they can relate. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a grade to strive to, you know, yeah. someday. So, Matt, so you're at St. Joe's Seminary. Um, that's located here in Charlotte. Mm. Can you explain a little bit how your college formation works? So since you're really starting theology in college, whereas Darren and Fowler went to college for four years first, and then they went into uh, seminary. You and Noah both jumped into seminary basically straight in at college. So can you kind of explain to me how your specific college seminary works and um, just kind of explain that to us a little bit? Yeah, so we were affiliated with Belmont Abbey, so we take classes through them, um, and we have to take all of our core classes so, like biology, um, literature, English, math, all the, all the good stuff. Um, and some of the newer guys, there's a college program at the Abbey called Honors, the Honors College, and they actually go through that. Um, so it's a little different than kind of like a STEM-based um, education, um, and it's much more oriented towards like the great books um, and kind of the classics. Um, so they go through that program. Myself and I don't know. Did you do? Not into the great books. Okay, yeah. Um, but everyone underneath us, they did. They're doing that program. I think they're going to continue that program as well. Um, but yeah, so we take classes and then we um, have to get. Basically, we have to get the um, bachelor's in philosophy. But then guys that are there for four years have the chance to also get a bachelor's or a double major in Latin as well, because we take a lot of Latin courses. And so my, I'm, I'm going for the Latin major. I don't know if you know, I guess yeah, you are too. Yeah. Just because we've been there for four years, um, and we've just taken so many classes. Um, and, um, yeah, we, we don't really stay at the Abbey a ton. Um, we're there for probably about two or three hours outside of class time. Um, 
Um, so in that time, we're able to kind of like go around and see students and kind of hang out and um, study in the library and kind of the common areas. Mm -hmm. So yeah. cool. And then, um, so do you do all your classes at Belmont Abbey, or then do you have some that are back at the seminary that are kind of your own seminarian classes, yeah, yeah. or how does how does that work? Yeah. Um, for the first kind of two, even three years. Um, yeah, basically all your classes, I mean, sorry, Monday, Wednesday, Friday are going to be at the Abbey. Then Tuesday and Thursday, there's classes at the seminary that are seminary-specific, so like uh, Scola classes, um, Latin, theology kind of classes um, that would be kind of outside of what normal students would have to take or probably even want to take. <laughs> um, and then once you get kind of higher up, junior year and senior year like myself I haven't actually taken a class at the seminary for a while because all my classes are through the philosophy department because um, I've taken all the core classes for the seminary the seminary has core classes as well as the college so gotcha. the core classes for the seminary are like um, I, I think they've actually changed it since yeah, I seminaries. actually had to take them yeah, several but, times. Uh, like one of them was catechism pillars of the catechism um, I think that's called Church Fathers now or something. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, it's been changed to Church Fathers. Um, I, it was called uh, Pillars of the Catechism as well. Okay, yeah. So, so, yeah, so stuff like that. Um, but once you kind of get done with all your core classes, you just take your philosophy slash Latin. So once you hit classes. your upper level classes, that's really at Belmont Abbey yeah, majority. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you guys will graduate from Belmont Abbey with a degree in mm -hmm. philosophy from Belmont Abbey College yeah. before you head up to major seminary for your next four years. Yes, yeah, yeah. Cool. And then, um, I guess, I'll, I don't know if you wanted me to talk about the formation of the college seminary. We'll or? get to that in a bit. Okay, okay yeah. So, so anyway. um, perfect. Thank you. Thank you for that. So, Father, you've done something that these guys have not yet. You've actually been ordained. That is true. Uh, so, <laughs> let's jump to the later years of seminary. Uh, what changes um, kind of in that last year, in that fourth year of seminary, the diaconate year, if you will, um, what do you specifically kind of focus on in that fourth year of theology that you wouldn't have focused on, you know, in the seven years prior, essentially, and what is in that last year that ultimately prepares you for ordination to priesthood? That's a really good question. I think, um, you know, it's funny, and I don't mean to sit here ten years after graduation and ordination to be critical of the seminary, but I will say, <laughs> one of the things that I think used to, it was really interesting, and maybe it's not like this anymore, mm. but it, it seems like early on when I was in the seminary, it was like, hey, you're not a priest, you're not a priest, you're not a priest, and then with like a year to go or less, it was like, oh my gosh, you're going to be a priest in like two months, <laughs> we got to teach you how to be a priest, and so there's a lot of the practicum all of a sudden at the last minute, which when I say practicum, the course is on how to baptize, how to hear confessions, how to oh. go into anointing of the sick, um, really a big focus on preaching. Now, I will say that Josephina was very blessed. Uh, we had a uh, class on preaching every year going up. So you were always preaching in front of your fellow seminarians, which frankly is the hardest audience that there possibly is. Yeah. <laughs> um, because, you know, it's the guys you're with all the time. They're taking all the same classes. They know your particular ways of phrasing things. Um, and they'll make fun of you for it, which is really a good thing. Because um, apparently I used to say, just out of curiosity, like all the time, before I'd ask any questions. I haven't heard that in a long time. Exactly, because I got cured of that by my friend, Father Andy Budzinski, who said, you know, when you ask a question, you don't have to say just out of curiosity. 
because you're always curious when you ask a question. So don't <laughs> say it, you know? It's like when uh, I realized with my college roommate, when I call and say, it's me. It's like, you know, you don't have to say it's me. Because if I know you well enough that you, have, that you can say it's me, I already know who it is. So it's me is a stupid <laughs> phrase. So it was really kind of good to have. Um, but so basically as you move on towards the end... Uh, then and you hit like the mass practicum. I mean, I'll never forget, mm. you know, getting into those classes of, for the first time, you are actually standing up there, not yet saying it, you know, having been ordained. I mean, it's not efficacious, no. you know, but you're saying the words of consecration uh, and working through that and having the critique of brother seminarians and, and priests to listen and watch you. But I will say, you know, the nice thing is, is you're like right on the doorstep of ordination. A lot of those things really stick with you in a big way. I remember in the mass practicum class, for example, uh, the priest one day before we're just about to start, he said, okay, we got to pray first. And it was funny. It was like, so basically he's like, say something, you know, like pray. And the same prayer that that first day that I prayed is the same one that I pray before every Mass. I mean, there are beautiful prayers in the Missal, like the prayers from St. Thomas Aquinas, mm. preparing for Mass. I highly recommend them for spiritual reading. They're amazing. But like with the quick prayer with the servers before, like just this little one about asking God, you know, to free us from all distractions and help all that we do mm. be for your greater glory and the salvation of souls. And then we pray Hail Mary, say Prochinamus in Pace, and we move on. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. And that same priest, Father John Heisler, wonderful priest, he said, now guys, you know, you're going to be ordained here in a couple of weeks. He said, be very careful. He, he made a pilot analogy. He <laughs> said, pilots in their 100th hour of flying, because, you know, it's like they measure it by a number of hours they've flown. Mm. He said, in their 100th hour is when they're most likely to start to, like, have difficulties. And, I mean, I don't know if it's crashes and things like that. But, he said, the problem is you've been doing it long enough that you start to become comfortable. He said, don't get to that point. Wherever, you, know, like, you can't get to the point where you're so comfortable with this that it becomes just second nature and you kind of phone it in because that is when you will start to make mistakes. Mm. You'll start to not recognize what you're actually getting to hold in your hands. And so, I mean, there, there was the, the practical nature of learning how to use the missile, you know, to say the black and do the red, you know, to go through all those things. And um, But at the same time, like, you know, you get some beautiful wisdom from these priests teaching you how to do the practical, you know, uh, steps of everyday life of being a priest. I mean, I celebrated Mass in the last 10 years, I would say close to every single day, I think, except four. Three of those was because I was traveling one of those insane days where it's like you're essentially leaving at midnight and don't get where you're getting mm-hmm. to until after midnight. And like, I think maybe once when I was, I was so sick, I couldn't get out of bed. Other than that, Every day, and I think I'm at like 4,737 nice. masses. Yeah, today. so the interesting thing so. that Father does is he actually tracks every single mass that he says and what it's the intention great. was for. So when he says that number, he actually knows exactly yeah. what number mass he's saying. It's like the best diary you can have, too, because <laughs> I can look back and see the very first mass I celebrated Sacred Heart. I can look back at a year from like a year ago today and say oh yeah that funeral was a year ago right now or just remember when someone passed away it's it's i mean most of us don't keep journals and diaries and i mean i kind of wish i did it would be really interesting to see what i thought 10 years ago but nevertheless like to know the mass that you celebrated you know on this day five years ago it's it's a powerful thing um but yeah i mean just sorry i'm going tangential but it's like the those last like, the last, like, year, year and a half, 
all of a sudden it's like, whoa, like this is real, mm. you know? And you're really starting to see the practical nature of like, you've learned all about what it means to, to anoint someone and, and have anointing of the sick and all that. But then when you, and I'll tell you, that's one that you really do need practice on. And frankly, I wish we would have gotten more. I think we got <laughs> like, it just wasn't very much, but like today, we were just talking about this earlier. I was blessed to get to go to one of our local assisted living facilities, saw one of our beautiful parishioners, who I believe is 98, and most of the, you know, the right, I spent yelling into her ear so she could understand me enough to get, you know, like to, to understand what came next and everything else. And I mean, it, you know, when the rubber hits the road, you take everything from philosophy with the how to think, mm-hmm. <laughs> everything from theology of this is why we do what we do, why we're willing to lay down our lives, why, you know, more and more of loving Jesus Christ, of learning about him, of loving him, of having that charity run through everything, and then letting the rubber hit the road and going to see these people and yelling it into their ears when you have to. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. So Cool. Well, thanks, Father. Absolutely. So uh, all these guys are taking notes, too. You thought this conversation was just for you at home, <laughs> yeah, but it's for the seminarians here as well. Um, so uh, housekeeping note, again, if you guys have any comments at home, I've got my phone here. I'm tuning into our live stream as well. I'm paying attention to the comments. So if you make a comment, ask a question in the comments. I definitely will make sure to ask our seminarians here questions because I'm just kind of making up questions on the fly. So I'll keep on going until uh, you guys at home tune in. So And it's been like 25 minutes. You're doing a good job. I know. I made it through all four of them. I'm already 25 minutes. This is awesome. Do we Have we had any questions yet? Uh, we have 11 viewers right now, which Woo-hoo. is awesome. Yay, 11 viewers. Um, <laughs> Probably just all our parents. <laughs> I <didn't> exactly. <laughs> One, two. Uh, actually, one of our parents. Hi, uh, hi, Mr. Harrison, Dr. Harrison. <laughs> that's so great. So, um, tuned in for the medical analysis. Of course, <laughs> yes, that's what it was. So, uh, Noah, next question for you. Just walk us through a day-to-day life as a seminary. Like, uh, you wake up. What do you do? Kind of. How does a normal day go through? And uh, let's keep it to the uh, five-minute version. Uh, so I wake up. Okay, good. Go back to sleep. <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> no, the alarm goes off. The bell at St. Joseph's goes off at five thirty in the morning. We wake up, uh, go down, get some coffee, wake up. So actually, wake up, and then we head to chapel. Uh, we have to be at chapel at six in the morning, and then we do a mental prayer. So quiet time, all of our, are there, and then at six thirty, uh, we knock. Everybody gets up. We say morning prayer. After morning prayer, mass uh, is said by one of the priests at St. Joseph's. And then after Mass, we get a quick bite to eat for breakfast. And then on Monday and Wednesday and Friday, we head up to Belmont Abbey. Uh, we take our bus. Uh, some of those guys ride the... We have another truck because we can all fit in the bus and we all have different schedules with classes. Um, so we take classes at the Abbey on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from uh, 9 till, let's see, 4, 4.30 about. Uh, depending on, on everybody's schedule, sometimes we're there until 4.30, sometimes we get to leave earlier than that, uh, depending on so classes are canceled. After that, we go back to the seminary, we change, and we go into rec. We have an hour of rec time. Um, after rec, we go and clean ourselves up uh, so we can get ready for uh, Vespers, which is evening prayer. And we pray evening prayer on Monday and Wednesday, we pray a rosary. In the chapel, we four vespers, and on Tuesday and Thursday, we pray 
Uh, we actually have uh, adoration. We expose our blessed Lord. Uh, not us, the seminarians, but the priests expose our blessed Lord. Um, after Vespers is over, we, we go to dinner. Uh, after dinner, um, there's like an hour of time to kind of relax before, the, before night prayer. And at 8, we go into our chapel again, and then we do night prayer. Um, and after night prayer, it's um, major silence, so we don't talk to each other. We kind of just like signal if we need anything. Um, and at 10.30, lights out, everybody should be in bed. We go to sleep and then wake up and then do it over again. So how, how often do you actually hold major silence? I'm just curious. I, I don't go to seminary. Uh, but actually, from Matt's uh, smirk there, um, well, maybe not always as much as you should. We hold it pretty well, but we call it grand silence. And so I was trying to... Major silence sounds like, like an army general. Yeah, that's right. Like, yeah, that's like, exactly. That's like what major silence and you will not speak. That sounds yeah. 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 <laughs> that's 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 grand silence. Okay, perfect. But you guys hold that pretty well. Yeah. Um, What's the benefit of that? Talk about why you think it's good that you have this silence from that point on in the day. Well, from like, you have a good two hours because night prayer takes up to twenty minutes to really to done to be pray uh, reverently because it's a really short uh, prayer, and so you you have two hours to uh, study really, and that's the mm -hmm. best. That's where most of us get our studies done, yeah. um, and it's really good to just have that quiet time to yourself, especially when you're studying philosophy, because some of the philosophers we study are really complicated. Yeah, you kind of um, need a quiet. <laughs> yeah, you need a quiet uh, place of mind to kind of really dig into and get all, all, of, all of the stuff you need from the mm -hmm. reading material so you can um, answer the questions that are being presented to you. Cool. Especially because Dr. Seward is a hard grader. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a tough one. So, uh, Darren, Noe mentioned a lot about different prayers and uh, times of day that uh, they pray at St. Joseph's. Obviously, you probably have a fairly similar prayer schedule. Right. But let's specifically, talk to us about the uh, Liturgy of the Hours, right? Sure. So, Noe talked about morning, evening, afternoon prayers, night prayers. Kind of walk us through the Liturgy of the Hours, what it is, why it is, and why you all pray the Liturgy of the Hours. Sure. So, when, when a seminarian um, becomes ordained as a deacon, going into that final year, he makes a promise uh, before the bishop and the whole community of the faithful to pray the liturgy of the, of the hours daily with and for the people of God. So that's a prayer of the whole church, and joining into that, especially moving towards um, being a member of the church in the headship of Christ, the great high priest. Um, he's He's got a special uh, stewardship, really, to, to care and to pray and to, to nourish the church through his prayer. Um, and so it's primarily the book of Psalms, right? And it's on a constant rotating calendar and it's split up so that, uh, well, the Psalms portray all the different human experiences. So you have all of the emotions, uh, the sense of betrayal, uh, the joy of forgiveness, uh, the relief and, and uh, rejoicing after victory, all of these different things appear. And so those are, um, placed by the church through different parts of the day. Um, and so the day begins with what is called the invitatory psalm, which is basically the word invitation with an O-R-Y at the end, right? <laughs> and that's exactly what it is. You invite God to be the first, the first actor, right? The first other person that you interact with in the day. Um, that's, that would break you out of the grand silence. Um, and so that sort of sets you on a track. 
And from there on, basically the church has always understood we're body and soul together. So you pray, and then you eat. You pray and you eat. You pray and you eat. And that gets you up through dinner time. You pray one more time and you go to bed. So we have prayer when we first wake up. We have morning prayer, also known as lauds, which sort of sets you off into the, the greater part of the day. You take a little pit stop, and recollect yourself, and that's called midday prayer. And that can shift a little bit for time. And uh, especially someone like Father might have to be really flexible with that for the needs of the people in the parish. Um, so it's, it's good to, to learn that and fit it in so you can pray well. Sort of at the close of the workday, you want to do evening prayer, also called Vespers. And then that final office or segment of prayer is called Night Prayer or Compline. And uh, that sort of closes out the day and commends everything from that day back to God. So then when you wake up, hopefully refreshed, um, <laughs> you know, you, you step into that. And so that rhythm of the Psalms, because they're new, you bring your new experiences, they're also familiar. Mm-hmm. And so that helps. And so, you know, someone who's been praying the Psalms through the liturgy of the hours for 10, 20, 50 years of priesthood um, will be able to connect to that a lot with his experience serving the people of God, being with them. And, and that can be extremely nourishing both for him and for the church. And you guys, when you're ordained a deacon, you make a vow or a promise to pray these prayers faithfully right. through your life, uh, well, through your living life. And then you will pray <laughs> unendlessly, uh, right. endlessly in heaven in the face of Jesus. Yeah, that's the goal. Exactly. So we're getting some questions from home. Thank you very much for all of you who are tuning in. Um, so, Matt, we're, we're going to rewind a little bit. Um, somebody's just tuning in and wondering if you can explain the green sash again on your uh, cassock. Uh, yeah, so the green sash, we call it the fascia. Um, and I mean, you briefly kind of talked about it, but I guess I'll go into more theological depth with it. Go for it. Um, so, you have, a, you have like, the priest will wear a cincture. Um, which is kind of the image of chastity and control of the passions. Um, and so the fascia is a really similar thing where, you know, if I don't have this, my cassock's going to blow all over the place. Um, and I don't, you know, don't really have control. And the symbol is that you put this on and it's just the image of putting on um, virtue, um, where you're able to control your powers, control, um, control your passions to order them towards something good, because the passions aren't always something bad. <laughs> um, and so you're able to order them towards uh, a, a happy life. Um, and so that's kind of the reason um, that we wear it. Um, and then it's also, the reason it's green is because the, the means by which we attain that virtue is the seminary. And like you said, the seminary is the field that the seeds are planted in, um, in Latin, um, seminary, um, or sim, sim, seminibus, I mean, that's like the date of, but that means like the seeds. Um, and so we're, we're kind of the seeds planted inside of the seminary. That's where the word comes from. So this literally, the reason it's green is because it's the symbol of our seminary, which is putting our passions, um, into control. And then once we move on to candidacy, we take the black, um, cincture, or fascia, 
because we're no longer, that's no longer something that's just being done by the seminary. This is something that's part of us. It's the same color as the cassock. Um, So it's not something exterior to us being put onto us, but now it's, you know, kind of part of our lives because this kind of this rhythm is now part of our daily, (laughs) our motion, you know, especially with the liturgy of the hours. Um, And then also the greenness with the bishop. Um, Bishops, um, they had something called a galero, which was green, a little hat, and you'll see it sometimes in a bishop's little symbol. Um, and it has little tassels running down the sides. There's a lot of symbolism in it, but basically um, this is just saying that we're part, it's also green because we're part of the, we're under the bishop, and the seminary is under the bishop. Um, so, yeah. Cool. Awesome. Um, so now can, I kind of have a can question. Can I just say something real quick? Yeah, of course. I feel kind of bad because I was sort of smirking a few times as Matthew was saying that. It was a beautiful description. But it was funny to me because I was thinking about myself and many of my priest brothers. And that's so beautiful that, you know, with the fascia becoming mm-hmm. black, and we still need to control our passions. Mm-hmm. And many of us priests outgrow our fascia. <laughs> yeah. And they don't fit yeah. anymore. And so, where does that put us? You know what I mean? Like, I, I know that I think yeah. I'm in need of another. Seven, I actually, the one that I have is a hand-me-down from another priest. <laughs> Because it shrunk, yeah. but or father grew. I won't tell you which priest it was, but unfortunately, I think I'm going to have to hand mine on now too. So, yeah. so you know, it's just one of those things. But you still have to control those passions even out of the seminary, even even when it's no longer green. Yeah. Um, you still got to wear the cincture. It's important. Yeah. So that's really good. That was a beautiful description. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you very much. All right, Father, you're back in on this one. Okay. Um. So tell us about your experience of being in seminary and being a priest and how your family understands that. Maybe you, you, when you were back in seminary, your siblings were like, why is John getting all the attention? Like, we're here too. I know he's in seminary. He's gonna, just because he's going to be a priest doesn't make him the favorite, does it? I don't know if you had that kind of dichotomy in your family, but kind of talk about well, you in seminary sure. and the dynamic with the family. Well, there's always been the understanding that I am the favorite. Mm. Okay, so, yeah. I mean, that was before seven. <laughs> sure. No, I'm totally kidding. I mean, it's, luckily, I mean, I've got an incredibly supportive family. They're wonderful. Um, they were, you know, great even when I was in the seminary. You know, it's funny. I think it's actually been harder as a priest. Not really with my parents. My parents have been fine, but at the same time, my parents are local. I mean, they live in Charlotte. Mm. This is actually the closest I've lived to them since I left to go to college in 2000. Um, so I went to, when I went to college, I was two and a half hours away. Um, and ever since then, I've lived at least that until, well, that's not entirely true. When I was in Greensboro, I was an hour and a half away. Trying was like two hours away. Now I'm only 40 minutes from my parents. It's mm. great. But my siblings all live back in the Midwest where I grew up. And I would say the, the thing that's difficult, I mean, they're, they're good. I mean, everybody is, is great. They never say anything snide or mean or anything like that. The hard thing is when the realization is there that, you know, essentially my primary focus in my I don't know how to say this. It's like my, 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 my vocation, I mean, that, that is the, the, the truth there, but it's like my, my focus is the parish. Um, just one small example, um, you know, this past Thanksgiving break, 
uh, about a month and a half before Thanksgiving, my grandma passed away. Mm -hmm. um, I was blessed to get to go back to celebrate the funeral. In fact, I was blessed two weeks before she passed away. Um, I had been asked to lead a parish mission back in Illinois, and I got to go see her and spend time with her, and it was a, it was wonderful mm -hmm. and a huge gift from God. And then uh, a couple weeks later, I had to go back and celebrate her funeral. Mm -hmm. But then uh, for Thanksgiving, the entire family, every grandkid, everybody was there for like almost like the last big Thanksgiving at my grandparents' house. Um, and I was the one grandchild that wasn't there. And I know for my siblings, those sort of things can be kind of tough. And even I think a little bit on my parents. Um, but that week, you know, we know I preached about it a while back. I had three funerals that week. Mm -hmm. And I remember, I think it was on Friday after Thanksgiving, you know, mom was just kind of saying, like, oh, we miss you, wish you were here. And I said, you know, I appreciate that. I love you all. But I said, I'm exactly where I need to be. You know, I mean, I am where I'm supposed to be. I'm with my parish family. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, you know, I mean, you guys know this already, kind of comes with the job. You're going to be working on Christmas. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, that's, that's probably pretty <laughs> obvious. <laughs> um, I think, you know, sometimes one of the, the biggest sacrifices we make, that it's not really spelled out in the beginning, but it's kind of intuitive. You know, we don't have Sunday brunch with the family anymore. You know, it's like the, a lot of the Christmas traditions, you just don't get to hold on to them because you are now not your own. You know, you're not your own families. Now, does that mean you're completely cut off from them and never see No, it doesn't mean that at all. But at the same time, your primary focus is Christ. And I think to go back to, you know, the whole dialogue between our Lord and St. Peter, you know, uh, by the Sea of Galilee, after the denials, you know, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. I mean, it just falls into order. We love him. Uh, our prayer is primary. And I do kind of want to go back to talking about the office at some point later on, too. Um, but, you know, loving him is first. That's absolutely essential. And then from that comes his command, feed my sheep. And so, you know, that is, it's from where we draw uh, our very identity. Um, I'm blessed to have a wonderful family. And this year, I think it's like the first time in five or six years, because we have a guest priest coming, he gets here on Christmas night. I'm going back to Illinois for like a week to see my family. I don't think I've done that since I got to go back for my nephew's baptism. It would have been five years ago because uh, his birthday was actually yesterday. Five years. Happy birthday, Owen. Um, <laughs> it was great. And um, But, yeah, I don't think I've been back at Christmas time since. And, you know, I think for the family, you know, it, it's a difficult thing for them to kind of have to say, and it, you know, in some way, I mean, it's difficult on me too. I mean, not that it's like, yeah, okay, see you guys later, you know. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, our Lord, you know, He doesn't ask things and then not provide the grace. You know, I mean, it's it's incredible what we get to be a part of. My relationships with all of my siblings are wonderful, um, and I think they know. It's like you know, you. you you know, just like, you know, a man leaves his mother and father and clings to his wife, we leave our parents, we cling to the church, you know, we cling to our Lord. Um, and, you know, he provides for that. I still have wonderful relationships with them, but I'm not able to 
be there with them in the same way that I would have been if I was not a priest. Mm. Seminary was, it was different. And I would say, frankly, guys, a lot harder mm. um, because it's like you get to go home on break. It's wonderful. But at the same time, it's like you're on break like a lot of people are on college break, you know? Yeah. And I remember one year being back from seminary break down in Charlotte, you know, and I didn't grow up in Charlotte. I don't have like friends all over the place. I'm with my parents. You know, and I had served midnight mass, so I was on like just a couple hours of sleep. So this part of it, you know, but like watching It's a Wonderful Life and just like the emotions of like, you know, it's like um, Jimmy Stewart and uh, Mary Reed, Mary Reed, right? I think that's her name. Uh, um, I don't remember. It Mary like. something. I think it's Mary. You know, it's like it's so perfect. And it's like, you know, like there are times at Christmas time where it's like you see the beauty of the family and what you're giving up. And the difficult thing when you're in the seminary, it's like you are not yet with a parish. And it's like this tangential way of like yeah. being there and loving them and all that. And then it's like, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, I have to go back to Columbus in a couple of days. And it's like the hardest thing in the world. Um, but the beautiful thing is, I mean, our Lord asks us to bear the cross. But um, one of my favorite quotes from Jose Maria Escriva is, a day without the cross is a day without Christ, and a day without Christ is a day without joy. And you embrace it, and he provides, and it's amazing. But there are definitely some difficult times of just that, you know, recognition of marriage is good, you know, loving family is wonderful, but, like, are you willing to hand that over for me? And the longer I'm a priest, the more grateful that I've said yes and that I continue to say yes and... Uh, you know, I mean, it's it's an amazing thing. And so I'm blessed with family that, you know, understand. And I've even seen with families that don't seem to understand in the beginning that come around and embrace it because, once again, our Lord is so good. And, you know, with his sacred heart, he can get through even the hardest hearts that have the hardest time of dealing with these things. And he provides. The interesting thing is, as you were speaking, I actually related, as the only married man yeah. in the room, I actually related a lot because I remember when we... My wife and I first had kids. It was like, oh, we're kind of doing our own thing now. Like, as much as we'd love to come back for this event, we've got nap time to circle around. We've got feeding time to circle around. My wife has to go off and nurse the baby and doesn't. And so the primary focus shifts. And so, I mean, as any vocation, right, that is your calling. You know, you leave your family and embrace your vocation, whether it is the church or whether it is your spouse. Absolutely. Um, so there's a lot of really comparisons there, which well, is good. Beautiful. And once again, I think our Lord provides so well. Um, and just one more little small, like, personal note. You know, I'm, I'm 13 hours from where I grew up. And uh, all of my siblings with their families are back in the Midwest. Two of them in Peoria, our hometown. One up in Davenport, Iowa, where he went to college, met his wife, and they now live with their two sons. Um, I know our Lord knows exactly what he's doing because if my niece and nephews were right down the road, it would be so hard to like just disengage and embrace the parish. Mm. I get to see them. We've got a relationship. I love them so much. But, you know, once again, it's like I have to be focused on the parish. Mm -hmm. So, cool. So, real quick, viewers at home, if you have questions, throw them in the comments. Uh, that whole round, all four of you had questions, almost four of you had questions from viewers, which is great. So keep up the questions, and we're going to keep going for another, like, uh, 20, 30 minutes. So we've got time awesome. to answer some things. It's been an hour. Almost. Almost. We started wow. a little bit late, but yeah. Time flies when you're having fun, right? Yeah. Amen. Father and I do this every once in a while. We go two hours, we're like, Whoa. what? That was two hours? What happened? 
All right, so Darren and Noe, I kind of have a compare and contrast for you guys. All right. um, so Noe, you go to seminary here in the diocese. Your seminary is 30 to 45 minutes from home. You go to school at Belmont Abbey, which is an hour down 85. Darren, you live, you go to seminary three states away. I mean, that's a yeah. eight and a half, ten, eight and a half, nine hour drive. Seven and a half. Seven and a half hour drive. So I want the pros and cons from both of you. No way. Pros and cons of being so close, being in the diocese, being here. Um, Darren, pros and cons of not being in the diocese, being far away. And every time you come back, you're kind of coming back to your own diocese. How is that experience for you? So we'll start with no way, pros and cons, and then Darren. Uh, well, this is a, actually a pro and a con. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Never heard of it. You are taking philosophy. I'm impressed. It's income's acquaintance, you know. Distinctions. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, I don't mean to offend anybody in the diocese. Uh, <laughs> but, like, you're kind of underneath the magnifying glass at all times. You feel like you're underneath a magnifying glass at all times, which is great in some parts because you get to meet a lot of great people throughout the diocese. Yeah. And this is the diocese you came out of, the vocation came out of. And so you you get to meet them, and they know who you are pers- almost personally, and and they don't get some random stranger from I don't know where when you become a you get ordained and you go to the parish, you already build some um, report um, relationships relationships in those parishes, and that is great. That's been great. All three years we've been gone to all over the diocese, meeting new people. That's been great. That's the pro of it. The con of it is like you kind of feel like you have to be so strict and and for the most part um or not for the most part but sometimes you feel like you can't um you're not allowed to slip up or else everything just collapses your vocation just you're like kind of like shun and you like put it in the corner and you don't get to go out <laughs> other things um at least that's what it feels like of course that's not the case um also just being uh close to my parents um my family uh, has been a great blessing um, not being seven and a half way, uh, hours away from them, especially at uh, such a, a young stage in my, early stage in my formation, having that immediate support of my family and friends uh, has been a great blessing. Um, and another con, I guess, can relate to like um, father, um, father's testimony where at the beginning of my formation, my first years, it was kind of hard to set myself apart from my family and my friends and kind of completely engage my formation yeah, yeah. just being like sorry guys i just i have to be at the seminary right now and i have to do seminary and things um and yeah the, that's some of the pros and cons cool again. awesome thanks yeah. so darren same question just you're distant yeah so being a few hundred miles from the diocese for my formation one immediate pro is when the weather is worse it's easier to study <laughs> like if it's 75 degrees every single day I want to go out and ride my bike you know that's like I'm just I'm being honest with myself mm-hmm. and others when I say that so when I realize that there's a season where I have yeah. to buckle down and you know you just bury yourself in the books a little bit come out you know hey stop by the chapel ask someone hey I've been working on this it lets you get into gear for that mm-hmm. and I know that I'm not accidentally in Cincinnati Ohio when I get Onto those roads, my mind switches to, all right, you're preparing for priesthood, you know, and that's that's a really important thing. Um, obviously, the con is um, you have to work a lot harder to keep your relationships up in the diocese. Mm. Um, so I always have an eagerness going towards the Eucharistic Congress in September. You know, I've just been 
in a parish for the summer, and then I have, you know, two, three weeks of not really being near any of these people who are going to be at this beautiful celebration. Um, so that's that can be challenging. Um, but some of the pros that I think go with that is I've really noticed an ability to be more like an uncle when I come back around the parish because it's actually really easy for me to see like how much some of the students in the school have grown taller mm-hmm. just in the few weeks that I've been away. And I can actually say, my, how you've grown and, <laughs> and mean it because it's, it's surprising to me. And so to get these, these snapshots of how people go through um, Advent and Lent and Easter and uh, just ordinary time and all these different parts of their, their life in the church is really exciting. Um, and so that's, that's definitely uh, a richness. You know, I, I think it, it makes me want to appreciate that more. Mm-hmm. And to, uh, you know, mm-hmm. Father tells me, you know, I celebrated the funeral for this prisoner that you know earlier in the week. You know, that sort of tugs at you mm-hmm. because you realized you couldn't be there. But I do try to make a point to visit them in the cemetery or if I see one of their loved ones after Mass or something, that, that I can sort of recollect uh, that that experience and and really make that a part of my prayer in mm-hmm. that day. And uh, so you're not just taking things for granted because they're so immediate to you. Yeah. So that distance can help, but I think it takes it takes an effort. Yeah. yeah. And I mean Noah and Matt, you guys are here in the diocese, but Matt, next year, correct me if I'm wrong, you will be going. Well, you're going off to a different seminary, yeah. so then you will be distant. And Noah yeah. being a junior, correct, third year, third you year. will be distant here in two years. So you kind you end up getting, you guys end up getting both. That you're here for four years, but then you leave for four years. Whereas, Darren, you aren't even from North Carolina. You're kind of a transplant <laughs> seminarian. Right. Same with Father. Yep. Kind of, uh, and we always get the best guys here in Charlotte. So keep them coming, all you uh, future seminarians out there. Make sure you <laughs> stick around here. And I just got to say, that means a lot coming from Michael Becker. He doesn't just like throw out compliments if he doesn't mean them. So yeah, I, I love him. <laughs> this is great. So um, you, you guys, especially St. Joe's guys, you kind of have to do both. You, yeah. You're kind of here for four years, and then you get the, the roots here, but then you leave for four years. So I'm sure that there's... Uh, I mean, you guys haven't transitioned yet, right? But uh, mm. I don't know. Matt, have you heard anything from your fellow seminarians who have transitioned from St. Joe's to Major Seminary? And how's that transition for... We're speaking on behalf of other people now, but yeah. I'm curious if you've heard anything from these guys and how that transition has gone. A lot of the guys were saying that, I mean, all of our guys go to the Athenaeum so far, and they just say that it's a really good transition uh, academically and also just kind of the culture there. Um, from St. Joe's, um, but also I think one thing is that, I mean, they haven't really explicitly said it, but you can just notice that, like, in St. Joe's, we don't know any other seminarians from any other diocese, you know, I just, I mean, we really only know these guys, I mean, there's a huge benefit that comes with that, in that, you know, we're so close, and especially once we're ordained altogether, you know, I mean, it's just going to have such a tight bond in the diocese. Um, but one of the downsides to that is that you have the possibility of the diocese kind of getting clo- <laughs> closed in on itself and not having any branches to outside dioceses. Um, di- dioceses. Um, <laughs> sorry. We it's okay. <laughs> and so, uh, so I, yeah, one, the guys that, have, that are up at the Athenaeum now, they're... They um they have been saying that it's or I, I can notice that it's just it's 
really a big advantage and a big difference to have guys outside from other dioceses with other bishops um, that you're able to kind of connect and support and kind of um, build a friendship with. And I mean, you yeah. can probably talk to, to that some. Yeah, real quick. Why don't you say how many dioceses go to your seminary? And so uh, we, have, we have a mixture of uh, just standard dioceses and then also two religious orders that also send their men there. Um, so, what, are, what are those? Uh, so we, <coughs> we have a few Franciscans and a few of the Fathers of Mercy. Mm -hmm. um, if you've seen the uh, little uh, trifold brochure for your examination of conscience um, with the blue emblem, that's a Fathers of Mercy publication. Highly recommend it. Go to confession. Advent's a great time. Keep Father Ecker busy. Um, <laughs> but um, So we have those two religious groups, and then... Um, we're in the Archdiocese of Cincinnati. And then we also have uh, fellows from the Archdiocese of Louisville, Kentucky, um, Charlotte, North Carolina, Toledo, Ohio, Youngstown, Ohio, um, trying to think. Covington, Kentucky? Uh, no, no Kentucky right now. Wow. Um, it's trying to think what, of the what other ones we have. Now. I'm missing a few here. But either way, you've uh, got several dioceses sure. you go to seminary yeah, so with, five, so five you, seven, different yeah. bishops come and visit their guys, and you meet them, but right. then you also create friendships of priests within other, that will be priests in other dioceses, so you, you kind of, you spread out who you know. Yeah, so a great example was uh, at the end of October, like you, um, Noe mentioned, I was instituted as an acolyte, and that's always done in the presence of a bishop. In that case, the bishop of Fort Wayne, South Bend, Indiana, nice. was the, the presiding celebrant and homilist, and that's uh, Bishop Kevin Rhodes. C. Rhodes. Mm -hmm. And when I introduced myself to him, he said, oh, I was classmates with Peter Jugas, and I, I thought you meant Bishop Jugas, right? <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, you just want to be sensitive to these things. And But it was wonderful because instantly... We had this, this wonderful connection just through, you know, the, the way that the church grows and moves and here in the United States for those two classmates. Mm -hmm. um, so that was an example of, you know, I sort of got to be an ambassador for Charlotte and, <laughs> and he had that mm -hmm. warmth and instant, instant appeal to, uh, yeah. to want to hear how we were doing. So, cool. Yeah, it's, it can be an exciting thing. Awesome. Thanks, guys. All right, Father, I got a question for you from one of our younger viewers. Okay. Um, so, and confirmation, we all choose a confirmation saint. Um, so first, who was your confirmation saint? And if you come, become passionate about a saint later on in life, can you change your confirmation saint? Um, and how does that kind of whole thing work? Okay, I'll answer the second question first. No. Um, <laughs> I mean, at least as far as, I mean, I think once it's done, it's done, you know. Um, I've never heard of anyone, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good job. Uh, it is indeed confirmed. Well played. Confirmed uh, because, okay, so I'll tell you this. I, I do have an appreciation of my confirmation saint. Love him very much. Although, I wish I could go back and talk to 8th grade me and be like, let's think this through a little bit more, buddy. Because, so my confirmation saint is St. Sebastian. Why? Because in 8th grade, I fancied myself a little bit of an athlete, which I am not. And, you know, it's funny because it's like, oh, he's the patron saint of athletes. I'll pick him. Um, as I came to learn more about the history of St. Sebastian, though, I really appreciate just his perseverance and the story about him. Um, 
And there's someone wanting to get in. That just and by the way, this is real. We're filming on location in life. Well, keep going. I'll, I'll keep talking. The you probably heard this story before, anyway. I haven't. Anyway, the story of Saint Sebastian. So he. Uh, so we'll just say like the the quick version in a nutshell. Um, he was a, if I'm not mistaken, Roman centurion, Christian, quietly at first came out. He was sentenced to death via uh, shooting by arrows. Most people think that's how he died, by arrows, because he's typically pictured tied up to a tree with several arrows in him. But here's the fun fact about St. Sebastian. He didn't die. He was nursed back to health, hmm. if I'm not mistaken, by another St. Monica. Yeah. Not Mother of St. Augustine, but a different St. Monica. Yeah. Nursed back to health. What did St. Sebastian do? You know, some people, it's like, wow, they almost killed me last time. I should probably lay low. No, <laughs> he went back. It was like, hey, by the way still Christian. And that time they beat him to death with clubs. And it did actually go all the way through. However, I think that perseverance is incredible. And, you know, we live in a time where our faith is perpetually under attack. You know, we're getting hit from all different sides. Um, but even when we get knocked down, I mean, you know, God through all sorts of different people, the St. Monica's in the world, nurses us back to health. And what do we have to do? Go and hide? No. We get back up and we go back out there again. Mm. And the reason why I say I'd like to like go back and tap eighth grade me and be like, <laughs> have you thought about this? My, my baptismal name is John James. <laughs> and I wish I could tell myself, hey, why not pick Peter, you <laughs> dummy? Because... Who does Jesus always take mm. to the side? Transfiguration, Garden of Gethsemane, nice. John, James, Peter. and Peter. So even though Peter is not my confirmation saint, even though I'm not going to go and like you know bump Sebastian and change it, because I mean it's it's confirmed as you said. Nevertheless, you know I do still ask for Saint Peter's intercession because it's kind of cool to have John, James, and Peter. Mm. So I know you missed some of that. No, but I because. I, what I was going to say is, and I'm sure it carries right along with what you were saying, is that throughout your life, you find out about a whole bunch of saints. Oh, absolutely. I've been reading, so I have a 10-month-old daughter, and we just like the name Juliana. Mm -hmm. And that's odd for me, because I'm a pretty Catholic buff. Mm -hmm. So if I'm going to pick a name, usually I have a saint behind it. Like, my son's name is Andrew Colby. I fell in love with Maximilian Colby, and I had to squeeze that in there somehow. But for Juliana, I just named her Juliana because I like the name. But after the fact, I started researching about St. Juliana. And I found out there's four different St. Julianas that I could find. And I've read biographies on all three of them, and I love them all. But I definitely picked one that is my favorite, St. Juliana of um, Liege in France. And the reason she's awesome is because she received a vision from our Lord to start the Feast of Corpus Christi. So yeah. she is the saint that petitioned for the Feast of Corpus Christi to start. Nice. So, but I didn't know about any of these saints. But I've kind of adopted all of these saints as patron saints of my daughter. And I've learned about them after the fact. So as you go through your life, you find saints that you are attracted to you or you're attracted to them. And even though you only have one confirmation saint, you can have a ton of patron saints Absolutely. that you're praying for, focusing on, and ones that you relate to. Yeah. And I'm sure that's exactly what you were talking about before I walked in. You know what? I don't think those two things could have paired together better. Wonderful. That was, that was wonderful. Father and I are so in sync working together all the time. <laughs> we so don't even have to be in the same room. This is great. All right. Going right along through my questions. And thank you for the questions. Please keep them up. Um, all right. So if I am correct... 
uh, you all four are cradle Catholics, correct? No converts here with this bunch. Um, so you all grew up Catholic. So, Noe, tell me how you think that affected your call to seminary, right? How do you think growing up Catholic um, kind of prepared you to enter seminary and answer this vocation of yours? Hmm. It isn't. It was not mine. It's... Uh, it's our viewers' question. Well, question. I expanded it a little bit, but okay. still, uh, our viewers' question. <laughs> well, um, it was a good, uh, in Latin, there's like, um, she does a lot of techniques and doing uh, things to help learn language. You're, you're a teacher in Latin. Yeah, a teacher in Latin. Okay, so. okay. Um, and she does this technique called launch off, where uh, somebody else gives you like a, like the starting uh portion of the sentence so you can finish it off uh -huh. and I think that's what uh, my cradle Catholic heritage came uh, did for me from a vacation I I thank God that my parents were such great Catholics and they took me to mass every Sunday they took me to uh, faith formation and I grew up in Mexico and I, I went to a Catholic school and so um, this is actually where I first met my vocation uh, in the Catholic school um, I was getting ready to um, receive my first communion and in the class, they were in my religion class. They were teaching us about the Eucharist and what the Eucharist was, and what the the relation of the priest and the Eucharist. Um, and my mom says that I don't remember this, but this is my mom. She swears that this happened. <laughs> I ran home that day telling her I want to be a priest. And How old were you? I was. I had to be like six. Six. So, yeah. Um, I was right before it was like um, the starting year of. Um, my second, uh, I was second grader. Okay, yeah, yeah. Six, so or seven. Six, six or seven, yeah. And um, I ran home telling my mom we were a priest, and and like that's she she says that's where my vocation started. And so just being around the parish um, so much, and just being with such great priests throughout my whole life, kind of like they were they became sort of my superheroes in life. It's like I just looked up to them, and and they helped me a lot through. Hard, harsh times. My grandma died um, when I started, you know, high school, and I was having all these doubts. Um, and so, they just it kind of just soaked my I soaked it all in, and just eventually, I was ready to make that call and saying, I I do want to follow you, Lord. I want to be become a priest. I want to go to seminary, and it was because I had that that great example of the priest and of my of my dad, of my my parents. Um, that they were in the church and, and all that prayer really and and my um, all that prayer and our spent spend generation really helped me to move forward with my vocation and answering yes to our Lord. Cool. And I'd love to be able to go down the line and let them all tell their vocation stories, but we don't have the time. So that, that might be the next uh, the next video. But thank you, Noah, for a snap a snippet of your vocation story. Yeah. Um, and so, sorry, folks. We'll get to your vocation stories on another day. That, that was good. I wish mine was that good. <laughs> we're, we're still growing them anyway. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Your vocation stories are not done yet. Yeah, exactly. Mine is, well, fathers of mine are a little bit more complete than uh, your stories. <laughs> it's always evolving. It's yes. Um, so, Darren, was. you're the closest among this uh, fine bunch to being ordained um, as a deacon to start. Right. Um, so part of your diaconate ordination is when you truly make the vow of uh, celibacy. Right. Um, you make that as a, a deacon and then obviously it carries on into ordination of priesthood. Do you have any fears of loneliness or, you know, living a, as a celibate single the rest of your life? 
Um, talk to us about how that kind of has gone through your mind. Yeah, a good, a good uh, point to come to with, with realizing what it is to be a celibate and to, uh, to live that call fully is to understand that to be solitary is not to be in solitude. Um, so, you know, if you have a lot going on, it's nice, sort of like we said about that green silence at the end of the night, you need some me time, right? Everyone needs that. And some people more than others, depending on how you like to you know, interact and be social. Um, and so a person who's taken on that celibate call, really, I imagine all these times where you're hearing, you know, the Lord went, went apart for a time to pray um, because you're giving yourself all the time. Um, in all sorts of different ways, and often ways you don't expect. Mm. You know, Father gets calls all throughout the day of, hey, here's this thing that's extremely urgent that we didn't mention to you until five minutes ago. And <laughs> then you realize that it is very urgent, and you would have wanted to be there 15 minutes ago. And uh, so you're trying to keep up with that. And so there's a re- very refreshing place to say, you know what, I'm going to step back and simply be with the Lord. And the Lord, who is really in a league of his own, knows how to be alone. Um, But because our God is a trinity, he's never entirely in solitude, right? That communion of love continues. So the better you know Jesus, the better you can follow him, the less and less you say, I'm lacking something. And the more and more you say, you know what? This is, I finally get to breathe, right? And the parish being being so much, you know, that you you run towards, you know, the faithful and you want to, to give all you can with the sacraments and your time and your energy. Um, and the Lord, I think, does have a wisdom. You know, he knew even walking around Galilee that there's times where you just need to, to step back and recharge um, at, that, at that very deep level of, of prayer. And so um, it's challenging because I know that I don't pray as well as I should. And I think every Christian experience is that, if not all the time, in seasons. It'll keep coming around, you know, as you, as you strive, especially in a time like Advent. Um, so I realize that to live chastity well, whether married, single, ordained, whatever, and especially in the celibate call, means that I have to learn how to pray better. And if I'm doing that, then I'll be, I'll be attached to the right thing, or mm. properly, the right one, the right person, who is Jesus Christ. And that will sort of point me through, you know, difficult storms and anything else that's going on, I'll, I'll be able to stay focused in that. Mm-hmm. Can I just add something to that? Yeah, of course. I think that, like, sometimes when people think about the priesthood or just, like, a relig- religious life, um, it's almost like thinking of us as like a social worker or, you know, like we're, we have like a really driven mission, but it's more for an ideal rather than for a person, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, like we get this question often, um, and it, it kind of, um, it's not as if we're following like, you know, this like comic figure of Christ, almost like, you know, like, oh, I'm really passionate about Marvel, you know, so I'm going to be like single my whole life, and, like be devout to like Iron Man. <laughs> it's, it's not like that. It's, you know, um, de- you know, devoting your entire life to something so real, um, he rewards you very quickly, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. especially in the chapel and in prayer time. And you actually engage with the person in Christ, uh, of Christ. It's not, 
It's not like you're, um, oh, well, you know, I'm not lonely because, although this is true, it's not exactly as if I'm not lonely because I'm always getting these, you know, sick calls and I'm always talking to people. It's like that, that's not where my, like, lack of loneliness comes from. It, mm-hmm. It's coming because your time in the chapel, Christ gives you a special relationship that he rarely gives to people who enter into another relationship that I know of, you know. Um, and, I mean, I noticed that very quickly in seminary. It's like, whoa, there's actually a person behind this tabernacle, um, and he's calling me in a very, very personal way. Um, and it's something that you can't, you can't prove scientifically. You know, you can't, you can't say, yeah, there's a, obviously a, like a person, let's put, it, let's put the Eucharist under a microscope, um, you know, God gave our whole being, our intellect and our will and our, you know, passions to us and we're able to engage with that as a whole entire instrument to be able to um, enter into a relationship with him. And so what that looks like is in prayer and in liturgy, you know, using not just, you know, reading about him and not just, you know, talking about him, but actually praying with him and to him, um, you, you really get totally engulfed and like encompassed into you know a relationship into into you know being with him um so yeah, yeah when I, you're in a relationship you're not alone yeah so if you if you understand that the vocation is really with a relationship with christ yeah. and the, the divine trinity and his church then all of a sudden it's like no we're we're in a relationship we're just in a different relationship than might be more natural with a married relationship, yeah. right? And yeah. a different one than I think most people understand, too. Right. And I'll just say, I mean, just to kind of bring in contemporary issues, I mean, I think the thing that was so um, discouraging with the, the synod that ran just a couple months ago, it was like they're talking about celibacy. The, the synod on the Amazon. On the Amazon, yeah. Specific. Specifically, yeah, I guess who knows when you're going to be listening to this. This might be 2025 when people are pulling this mm-hmm. out. <laughs> Maybe Facebook will still be here. I don't know. I don't know. But, um, you know, it's like all these questions about celibacy. It's like, look, and, and you know, and earlier, it's interesting, too, like just kind of trying to bring everything mm-hmm. together. Noah said something about like looking at these priests like superheroes. And you guys talk about, you know, like the charity running all the way through. Mm-hmm. We need to see people who totally believe in it, you know, in the same way that you look to your dad who totally believes in marriage and who's in love with your mom. Mm -hmm. If he's like, yeah, the old ball and chain, it's like, that's (laughs) not, that's not impressive. Mm -hmm. That's not something I want to imitate. You know, it's like we, you know, you follow people who are clearly in love and have the relationship. You're absolutely right. It's not some weird imaginary thing. Mm -hmm. It's that we are in love. It is a relationship. Um, and, you know, and sometimes, too, it's like we talk about this loneliness, right? I mean, I would say a lot of priests, it's like, we're not lonely at all. Like, I mean, and, and, it's, and you're right, it's like we're not social workers. I mean, I remember my grandpa one time telling me, like, oh, priests are so lonely. It was like two or three years into priesthood. I'm like, Grandpa, I have to schedule time to be alone. Like, it's hard <laughs> to get it. Mm-hmm. But it's not because I'm with everybody that I'm not lonely. Um, and sometimes it's like, yeah, there's, and I'll tell you when, because you guys I think will see it at some point, because this is the hardest thing, I think, going from seminary to diocesan priesthood, is all of a sudden you don't have the community that's holding you to praying the office anymore. You don't have the community that's, you know, keeping you in the real life. You don't have that same level of accountability. You have to focus on the relationship. And Sunday afternoons, I think, of the time when you can, you can feel the pinch the most mm-hmm. because I love Sunday mornings. It's like, 
a family reunion every week with the whole parish. And it's awesome. And you're preaching and you're giving it your all and like you're all in. And then, I mean, I have three masses here every single Sunday. I'm physically exhausted. Mm. I don't want to go be with a bunch of people. But at the same time, I'm alone, right? But it's into the loneliness, you know, that our Lord comes. And as long as you open up yourself to him then, and you don't retreat into Netflix, or, you know, it's like, because, I mean, we can retreat into all sorts of stuff that's, like, neutral, morally speaking. Like, I could have, a, you know, a pet or a, you know, a stamp collection or something, you know, like, I, I spend all my free time on that. Okay, fine, but, like, we have this... No time when it does come because it doesn't come that much just to you guys but <laughs> when the loneliness can't come it's like you invite him into that mm. and there's a fruitfulness there that is incredible you know I mean and just to get to enter into that prayer and like you said it's like it's such an incredible thing that's almost hard to put into words mm. and if we stop talking about it and, and if, if we stop talking about making the sacrifice to have that in the first place of course you're going to have vocation crisis mm-hmm. in certain places because no one's living it to the fullest mm-hmm. I mean I don't want to be a social worker in some random place I don't have to be celibate to do that mm-hmm. you know and if you're merely celibate to be a social worker it's going to be a lonely and sad life and you're going to burn out and you're mm-hmm. not and you're going to just phone it in but if you're in love mm-hmm. you know and this is the cool thing about our lives too just to kind of you know, use a small example. Like, when you're ordained, you know, it's like, okay, the ordination is huge, as you guys know. It's like it's a big day, and you're giving all these first blessings, but you're not done. Then you got your, your mass of Thanksgiving the next day, right? And then you give another, like, you know, five hours of first blessings. And then since I was not ordained in the diocese in which I grew up, I drove back to Illinois and had two more days, a Saturday night and a Sunday, of masses of Thanksgiving and, and first blessings. I think I figured out that between the two weekends, I think I gave like 20 hours of first blessings. Wow. Now, now the thing is, when you think about it, compare that, you know, it's like compare that to married people. And I'm not like being disparaging about married folks, but it's like right. you leave your, your mother and father and you cling to your wife. The two of you become one. The church celebrates it. And then you go off on your honeymoon. For us, it's like, hey, remember when you were a private guy like 20 minutes ago? No more, buddy. Like, massive Thanksgiving. First, you know, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, Betty Sue down the street is dying. Well, got to go anoint her. You know, like, like, you are not your own anymore. You belong to the church at that point. And it's just like, it's, it's an incredible thing. And if you're, if you're in love with our Lord, you're living that life with him. I mean, who doesn't want to imitate that? It's incredible. You know, if, if you're called to it, if he is calling you and giving the grace to do it, what could be better than that, right? And I think, and, and I will say, it's like, yeah, celibacy is a gift. And like a lot of gifts, I mean, it comes with responsibilities. And some of those responsibilities are difficult. And you have to wear the fascia and you have to wear the cincture. And you got to pray for the grace. And there are times when it's like, it's so hard. But... <laughs> I'm sure it's the same way in marriage, you know? It's like, it's a gift, and it's wonderful. Don't marriage. get me started. Every it. single day, you're like, I love married life. You know? I mean, it's like, yeah, there are, and it's like, we can be honest about it. There are times when it's like, yeah, you've got to redirect the passions, you know? In the same way, there are times, like, you may want to eat a lot of the cake, right? But you can't eat the whole cake. Mm. It's not good for you. Like, there are times you have to tell yourself no. But it's in telling yourself no that you end up being so much more happy. You know, it's just, it's it's an amazing thing. And I think so often in our world, 
it's like we're afraid to say like we do have to tell ourselves no sometimes mm -hmm. and that ultimately through that the greater gifts come mm -hmm. and I think what the world needs is not so much you know tell yourself no tell yourself no it needs people to say I've been telling myself no for a long time I'm gonna be honest with you I am super happy you know mm -hmm. I love it and uh, it's it's one of those things that's like it's not being a superhero insofar as I'm John Eckert and I have great characteristics and follow me it's mm -hmm. not that it's the charity running through everything that you're mm -hmm. talking about before, being on fire with that love. And of course you're gonna wanna, you know, imitate that and follow it. And I think that would be the key in the Amazon, like get more people down there who are living that, living mm -hmm. it to the full, and want to give Christ to everybody they encounter. I don't know, I think you'll get more vocations. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. just my And I think uh Abbot Plasta Solari from Belmont Abbey said uh, kind of about what you were talking about, you know, living every day in your vocation. He gets asked the question a lot, like, when did you know your vocation? And he says, every single day when I put my feet on the floor. Yeah. Every single day when I put my feet on my floor, I'm like, he says to himself, am I going to be a good monk? Am I going to be a good priest? Am I going to be a good abbot? Or am I not? Yeah. And I think as married life, every single day, I put my feet on my floor and say, am I going to go change a diaper or am I not? <laughs> sure. You know? <laughs> and that's the question that I ask myself and you will, I'll ask yourself that every single day too. Yeah. All right. So father, we're running out of time. Last question for you, um, directed towards our viewers at home. If there is a young man watching this in 2025 who <laughs> feels like he might have a call to the priesthood, what would your one piece of advice be to that young man who is discerning the priesthood in his heart about discerning priesthood and whether that is his call or not? I would say, um, well, first of all, prayer that I learned when I was young, I'll look at the camera. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's that guy right do. there, that guy in 2025. I know it's like I'm looking at people out there, but I'm looking at an iPad. And it's really <laughs> hard to, like, distinguish with this. I'm going to look at the picture of Mary just beyond. Uh, that's fine. You, you're... Although, I, I can't give our blessed mother yeah. vocation <laughs> advice. It's very difficult. What I would say, okay, so I learned a prayer when I was young. Uh, the Emmaus Days Discernment Camp in the Diocese of Superior, Illinois. The prayer was, Lord, help me to want to be what you want me to be. And I think that's the key thing to recognize. Is, you know, we've been talking about the relationship with Jesus Christ. He's not trying to fool you. He's not trying to pull tricks on you. He wants you to be a saint. He wants you to be happy. Um, listen to him. Talk to him in prayer every day. Talk to people who know him, who love him. And you will know. I mean, he'll let you know and reveal it to you. And don't be afraid to say yes. Don't be afraid to take the risk. Um, and whatever he's calling you to right now. And it's interesting, too. It's like, you know, you look at us. A couple of us went to college first. A couple of us went in right out of high school. One of us got married. And I would say all of us are in love with our Lord, trust in him, know that he, he guides us along the way. As long as you trust in him, talk to him, and ask him to help you to want to be what he wants you to be, you can't go wrong. Cool. And with that, Father, let's close this out with a prayer. Yeah. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As, As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Most sacred heart of Jesus, have mercy on us. Immaculate heart of Mary, pray, pray for us. St. Joseph, pray, pray for us. St. John Vianney, pray, pray for us. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. spirit. Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Thank you all for viewing. We greatly appreciate it. We hope you all have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Father, Mass times. Go. Oh. Yes, so uh, for Christmas Eve, I'm sorry, I got thrown off. We still have the fourth Sunday of Advent between now and then. <laughs> um, Christmas Eve, 
5 o'clock, 7 o'clock, 9 o'clock in Espanol. Uh, midnight Mass, which will be beautiful as always, 10.30 on Christmas morning, and 12.30 in the extraordinary form on Christmas Day. Wonderful. Well, I hope you all have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Thanks for viewing, and uh, we hope to see you here at Sacred Heart soon. Thanks, Lou. Thank you. That was a good hour and a half. That was good. Yeah, that was, yeah. I want to be a priest. <laughs>